0: Uh, hello when I lived in uh, Fall River Massachusetts years ago uh, that community is full of Portuguese people many of them first generation first second generation at the high school I worked at when uh, when you if you went to graduation when they came the name Madeiras came up there'd be like 50 of them you know it go then Silva would come up and there'd be another 50 of those Um their language is a bit different than English and uh the first generation ones you'd hear them say things like next time you go through my yard go around going to be like wait, wait a minute what or throw me down the stairs my shoes and uh you know they're putting the subject at the end of the sentence um but you you know you understood what they what they meant even though it sounded weird um, and uh And that comes from context. You know know what a person is saying, even if their English isn't good, because of context. And if you know the context, you can pretty much get it. The same thing happens with biblical interpretation. Satan is going to tempt our Lord to do something based on a scripture that is taken very much out of context. But it made me think of church bulletins. You've heard these before, right? There's many of them. I've found website after website now has them. Uh, this is I was actually in a church bulletin. For those of you who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> the Reverend Merriweather spoke briefly, much to the delight of the audience. And this was another one. Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Bring your husbands. And then Irving Benson and Jesse Carter were married on October 24th in the church. So ends a friendship that began in their school days. That's a good one. Yeah, you know, in every one of those, you know what they mean. And that's why they're funny to us, because we get it, you know. And we say, wow, how silly that you put things that way. Uh, There's many uh, typos can do the same. Um, And yet, so if you have context, which means when you're looking at a passage, if it feels a little weird to you or out of place, or it seems that someone else is talking about it in a way in which it seems wrong to you, Read before it and after it, and what's fortunate for us is this out of context thing done by the devil is out of a psalm, and so what we and it's not a long psalm, so all we got to do is read the psalm, and if you read it, you get it, and that's pretty awesome. So we're going to start Matthew four, and uh, let's open up in prayer and ask God for guidance into his words so that we get the context of everything that we're going to read and see
1: through his spirit.
0: That's another asset we have is the illumination of God, the Holy Spirit. And so with humility and reverence, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this time to be Before you, our great and glorious God, Lord, Father, who gave us your Son, and your Son with the power of deity, a power we can't possibly comprehend, he submits himself in faith like any other man. It's truly astounding. And he did that so that we could have salvation. We owe our lives to his humility. We owe our lives to his submission and obedience. And then he asked us to do the same. And what a privilege it is to do that. So we ask, Father, that through your word we would see that as a privilege. And through your spirit our hearts would be illuminated to the truth of your word and the wisdom in it. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> so in, what happens here is, as is we talked about on Sunday, is interpretation. And it's a problem with interpretation. The history of interpretation throughout the church has varied in its problems. Uh, There's been successes and there's been failures. Uh, We have to understand that after the first readers of the letters, and really, so before there were readers of the letters, there were hearers of the truth, and before it was all written down and circulated, the truth of the gospel and the life of Christ and the, the you know, what we call the doctrines of the Bible were circulated orally, and they're probably written down, uh, but not that we have copies of any of that. Uh, but we do have some very old copies of you know, the letters that actually made it, uh, that became a part of what we call the canon of scripture. Um, so you have to realize that say around 100 AD, like at the end of the first century, the apostles have all died off, and but those who have the next generation have come after them have actually been in the audience of the apostles, and they've actually heard from eyewitnesses. And so in that, first, we call it first generation after the apostles, interpretation is not so much of an issue. Now, there are charlatans there are, from the beginning in the in the age of the apostles very early on we know that there were false teachers but as far as you know misinterpreting the text well there really was no text yet but as we got text the ones who were reading that were very you know not distanced from the time of the apostles and so and they read greek Uh, fluently and so there was no language issues there's no cultural issues because they're a part of that very culture but then as time goes on moving into 200 300 we there's distance and of course time and it's time and distance that allows for falsehood to come in because of various reasons but mostly the pride of man and people wanting position in the church and wanting to be right and wanting to be righter than the other guy, and and so falsehood is circulated. Then ideas come up of you know things like, how could Christ be God and man? You know that this thought, I'm sure that thought never entered into the hearts of the first. But then it's not long before a guy named Arius, who's the first. One, to really get popular. And his doctrine of the fact that Jesus was not really God uh, spread like wildfire. Because it made sense to people. And So, there you go. You've got bad interpretation. And it starts pretty early. So, it doesn't take brains, brawn, or human talent in any way to become a great interpreter of the scripture. It takes humility. It takes time. And it takes, in that time, it takes the work that you put into reading and rereading, contemplating, meditating on, praying about, and really searching. You know, searching for the truth and searching and knowing in your heart, in yourself, that the whole purpose of this is application. The whole purpose of observation of the Scripture, interpretation of the Scripture, is how does this apply to me? Not to others, but to you. And if that is your end goal, and if you have humility, and and I, we must not neglect the Holy Spirit. So you have to be a believer. You have to be regenerate. And as a believer, you depend upon God, the Holy Spirit. And so when you have some in different interpretations, or at least in your own heart, thoughts of interpretations, it's kind of like looking at, you know, you've entered a dark forest, and there's a path. There's like four paths that you can take. And one of them is illuminated. And you'd have to be an idiot not to take that one. You know, unless it's the light at the end of the tunnel. Is the train coming at you? That kind of thing. But, you know what I mean? Like, there's an obvious path here. If you're humble and don't test the Lord, as we'll see. So, what we have is the idea that those who know they should live by the Scripture... Will be tempted with false interpretations that lead to false application, and that's the idea. That is the main idea we get out of this second test to the Lord. Satan realizes that Jesus realizes he heard Jesus use Scripture. Jesus interpreted Scripture with Scripture, or he uses Scripture to uh, overcome the first test. And Satan, you know, says, "Well, all right, if you're going to live by Scripture." Now, you have to realize that Satan doesn't know that Jesus is going to live by Scripture. He doesn't know anything about him. Jesus has just started his ministry. He just got baptized. He's really been in seclusion in Nazareth his whole life up to this point. And now his ministry has begun, and this is his first application in his ministry. And Satan tempts him and turn the stones into bread. You shouldn't be out here suffering as the Son of Man. And, and his response is Deuteronomy chapter 8, and Satan says, oh, okay, so you're going to live by Scripture, which has got to be a revelation to Satan. I mean, he knows who this is, doesn't he? We assume that he does. If you're the son of God, you're going to live by Scripture? That's what the rest of these morons are doing. And you're going to be like them? Hmm. All right. Well, if you're going to live by Scripture, how about jump off this building? And I'll give you a Scripture that supports it. That's kind of a pun as well, right? My other pun is don't jump to conclusions. So this is where we get to hermeneutics again. And uh, this will come up a bit as we're going through this this week. That it's just, hermeneuo is the Greek word for interpretation, so it's the science of interpretation. But it's not just a science, it's also an art. And as I said on Sunday, that you, you guys, if you stick with it, and it's a lifetime now, over the years, you will become skillful at interpreting the scripture. But a lot of people don't want to do it, you know, they're too busy, I, and I understand that. I sympathize. You know, I was of the same mind some years ago, and I'm not anymore. Uh, I, I pray that people who do listen to the Word of God in any church anywhere would have this awareness brought to them that you're not going to learn all the Scripture in church. You don't have time. The pastor doesn't have time. I don't know if any other church is teaching four hours a week. I'm not saying that to, you know, no one's going to hear me toot my horn from this basement anyway. But uh, I'm not doing that. This is the way our schedule has been, and I don't see a reason to change it. But, um, you know, even at that pace, we're not going to cover everything. We just don't have time. But you have all the rest of the time. And uh, and so I, in my uh, estimation, if you will, uh, uh, one of the things I see as the role of the pastor is to help you become a reader of Scripture. He doesn't help you interpret, but he can't read everything for you. I like I can't I can't get up here and read the Psalms for you. you know? And not, nor should I. It's not that's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to help with interpretation, and even and that, I don't know it all. No pastor does. And so I'm, I'm here to help. And, uh, and, so, and, to, and with that, each of us should have the time in which we take in some scripture. And by that, we, be, we learn this science and art of interpretation. Uh, it's guided by rules. It's also guided by skills. But the thing that is two very simple things. Now, I've had a, i have had have a whole course that I took and read three textbooks on hermeneutics but this these two are the main ones which anybody can do especially now that we have computers and on the internet you can you can use concordances in any inter, any translation of the bible and search out anything but anyway the two fun, the two foundational principles two of, I shouldn't say uh, two foundational there's more than 2, but these are the two big ones. Two of the foundational principles in hermeneutics is context. Read the whole passage, read the whole book, and scripture interprets scripture. Right? And that's a way of saying that scripture can't contradict itself because it's inspired by God. So, you know, Jesus is not going to get into an argument with Satan over the meaning of Psalm 91. That's what Satan's going to quote Psalm 91 and say, jump. And uh, Jesus is not going to get in and say, all right, well, let's turn to Psalm 91 and read it. He's not going to do that. He's going to go get another scripture that shoots that application out of the water. You don't tempt the Lord. So, therefore, if your interpretation was right, then don't tempt the Lord would be wrong. So at least I know that. Hence, we understand, this shows us the importance, that we've got to know the whole Scripture. And we never know when a Scripture is going to come in handy. That the Holy Spirit illumines to us. So Satan is going to fail at both. And that makes sense, because he stinks. So look at Matthew 4, 5. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. Again, we don't know if he took him there physically or if this is a vision. This word pinnacle is also, in the Greek, is a uh, conf- it's an obscure word. We don't know what part of the temple he's actually standing on. But most think it's the part of the temple that overlooks the Kidron Valley, which is a drop of about 400 feet. It goes way down into this valley. And that's the valley that's between the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives. <coughs> And he said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. That's a commandment. I find this marvelous. These are both commandments. We'll we'll look at this in another. We're going to have a whole class on this, I suspect. That when Satan tempts, he does it with confidence. Right? Like a good salesman doesn't say yeah, this car might be good for you, it might not be good for you, or this item might, you know. A good salesman says, oh, you need this car. right?" And that's, that's what he does here. Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, says Psalm 91, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He quotes it directly, properly, uh, he didn't. He doesn't mess up a word or something. That's not his ploy, right? He could have. He could have used. He could have changed it. Uh, changed the word somehow, but he doesn't do that. Jesus said to him. On the other hand, it is written, "You shall not put the Lord your God to the test," which is Deuteronomy six sixteen. So. If the son is going to quote scripture, the devil selects a passage in order to tempt him to do something he shouldn't, and that's tempting the Lord. The devil quotes Psalm 91. He fails in both context and in using the whole of scripture. Does God promise that the angels will bear you up lest your foot strike a stone? Yes, he does. So, but if we're going to take that literally, it means you should never stub your toe ever as a believer. Well, actually, in Psalm 91, it's faithful believers. So if you're a faithful believer, you'll never stub your toe. <laughs> and certainly, if you jump off a building, well, then you, you can't crash. So you're going to defy gravity, really. So the first temptation, now what was the first temptation? Was for Jesus to use his own miraculous power to turn stones into bread and feed himself. Now the test is not you use your power, but you test the Father to use his. In both cases, Satan wants something miraculous to happen. In the first case, he wants Jesus to use his power as deity. And then now he wants Jesus to test the Father and see if his word, right? You're gonna trust God's word. Let's test it out. We actually find this, you know, I've never done this, but I know people who have done this, right? This is uh, what did Joshua do when he put out the fleece? Right? That's and he did it twice. He said, I'll put out the fleece, it's really wet. If the fleece is dry, then I believe you. All right, Lord, and and the fleece was dry. So he said How about if I put it out and this time it's wet and then I'll believe you? And the Lord did it. But it's really a failure in Joshua's part. But the Lord helps us. But it's wrong to test him. And Jesus is revealing here that we can do exactly what he did. Because he doesn't do anything more. And it, the miracles that he does are to show his authority as God, as Messiah to Israel. We're not God or Messiah. So there's no need for us to show anything. So we don't need power of miracles. But his life was lived by faith in the word of God in obedience to the Father. Complete obedience to the Father. And you and I can do that. Amazingly. Jesus Christ, who has the power of deity at his fingertips. And if angels will bear him up, we remember that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he told Peter, I can call down 70,000 angels right now. He has the power to call any angel he wants. He doesn't have to even depend upon the Father. And so he lives like we do. He lives like a man. And this tells you, you can be just like him. By knowing his word, obeying his word, and applying his word. Not just knowing it and not applying it. There's a lot of people who have done that over the years. They're not like Christ at all. It's knowing it and living it. But what if God what if we we did this constantly? What if we test God? What if God says, yeah, you can test me? And right, is this the human exercise where you fall backward? I never have done it. I don't think I have friends that I trust well enough to catch me. There's always some stupid video on YouTube where the people who are supposed to catch you were looking the other way at the time and you just fell down. Man may become the Lord of God and compel him to act through the power of his faith. All right, so actually I'm becoming God's boss in a way. I'm becoming God's Lord. And I'm saying to him that you have to do what, I, if I have faith, you, you better do it. And, and this throws God's timing out the window as well. What if God says, well, I don't want, I, you know, it wasn't my time right now to deliver you. I mean, aren't Christians supposed to suffer? Aren't Christians supposed to go through tribulation? Aren't Christians supposed to, at times, get sick and die? What about the martyrs throughout the years? Uh, What about those who have gone through horrible suffering uh, as believers, as faithful believers? Did Did they pray for deliverance? I'm sure that they did. And God said no. So can you imagine if this were true and you're reading this psalm, Psalm 91, and you've gone through hell and you read it and it says plague will not touch, touch you, the enemy won't touch you, you'll be completely protected by all evil, from all evil. You say, well, that didn't come true in my life. How is this true? Well, either God is lying or you've misinterpreted it. And so what do we do? Well, fortunately for us, the Bible doesn't only have Psalm 91 in it. So we go find the other scriptures so that we find out what's going on in our lives. Why are we suffering the way that we're suffering? And we go to other passages and we find out. And then with that, you know, name it and claim it, it's not going to happen. But there's another way of overcoming and it's far better than the physical. It would be to act as if God were to serve me, right, rather than the reverse. Now, if this were true, and you could say, you know, my faith is weak here, God, so I'm going you know, to do something stupid and watch you save me. And let's say he did it. Let's just take Jesus' example. You run up to the top of whatever the tallest building in Salem, and you jump off and God catches you and lays you down nice and soft. It's like Superman got you. And he laid you down. You're like, wow, here's my faith. Your faith would be strong. I guarantee it. For how long, though? Your faith would wane. And then you'd be up that building again. Be like, God, what about this? I, You know, I don't know if you're going to deliver me from such and such. Uh, this is a different situation. You know, I'm, my faith is weak. Let me run up to the top of the building again. God's going to be catching you once a week. And now, you know, what does that say about your faith? It's not there. (laughs) So Satan's wrong on both fronts. Poor context and no other scripture to interpret. So 2 Corinthians 5.7, a couple passages now to reaffirm this. We walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5.7. Paul says to the Corinthians, look, we do not go by sight. We, we, believers, live by faith. Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for his sake. Not suffer for bad decisions, but to suffer for his sake. And then our passage that we studied, we spent a couple of classes on this in 2 Corinthians 12.10. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am am strong. Paul realized that every human being is weak. And that we grow with trial. We grow with test. And therefore, we grow with pain. So well, let's look at Psalm 91. That's lovely. And I don't want to comment on it. I want us to read it through all the way and let you savor the whole thing at once as you read with me. And, you know, you'll see your own context here and then we'll do some commentary on it. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night nor of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, for you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands. that You do not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample down because he has loved me. Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. This is marvelous. And uh, as I I told you this that there's 150 Psalms and only 150 that are in the scripture, and there's many more songs that were written. Many psalms were written, and uh, God picked these 150. And therefore, this is God's playlist. This is God's song book that He chose. And we got to have time. If you get, we get to heaven, we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and then Christ says, "What'd you think of my song book?" And we're, we say, "Well." You mean Psalms, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just didn't have time to read them. I hope that doesn't happen. Um, Psalm 90, because there's an order here, right? At the in my New American Standard, Psalm 90 starts book four. It says it, it titled above my Psalm 90, book four. And so there's five books in the Psalter. And So 90 is put next to 91. They're put in order on purpose, by the way. And 90 is a lamentation. 90 is terrible. Um, If you look at, go back to 90. um, Look at verse 7. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath, we have been dismayed. And the Psalm 90 is written by Moses, says the title of it. And this definitely, therefore, speaks of the exodus, and the exodus is going through the wilderness. And Moses writes a a poem about how horrible it is. We have been consumed by your anger, verse 7, and by your wrath we've been dismayed. In verse 9, he says, all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years with a sigh. Who under, verse 11, who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Teach us to take account of the fact that we have a life to live day by day and it better be lived in light of you. But they did not. Hence this psalm, 90, is what we call one of the lamentation psalms. It's terribly depressing. But it's the story of the human race. But then comes Psalm 91, about whom? Now, in verse 1, it says, who, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. This shelter of the Most High, a lot of commentators think, does refer to the temple. And maybe that's the reason why Satan took him to the temple. Because he's going to teach it, he's going to try and miss, well, take out of context, a passage from a psalm that starts with us being in the temple. But this, you know, there's no temple now. Um, And actually, when, you know, for much of Israel's history, there was no temple. But what matters here is that the physical temple in Israel just represents the house of God. And to us, in in the church age, we're the temple of God. But it, it means that no matter where we are, that we're walking with and fellowship with, God and enjoying His presence because we are those who dwell and abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I say to the Lord, it says in verse 2, You are my refuge and my fortress. That means I trust you. Right? This is not just any believer. This is a believer who trusts Him. And that, the first stanza, verses 3 and 4 for he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. Now, let's talk about context of it. Or really, uh, yeah, this is a, it falls under the, uh, uh, the heading of context is how do we interpret these words? Am I going to get trapped by a hunter? Probably not. But that's the language that's used. Does God have wings? No. I'm pretty sure he doesn't. He doesn't say angels are going to put their wings on you. It says he is. Uh, What else? Uh, What about 10,000? Verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand. When are you ever going to have 10,000 people standing at your right hand? Never mind dying of plague. But no, it's not going to happen to us either. So when it comes to, therefore, the angels bearing you up, it's not that we would conclude that angels don't look after us because, again, comparing Scripture with Scripture, we find out that angels do look after us, that in Hebrews chapter 1 there are servants. And so they are. But this so your foot doesn't strike a stone, does that literally mean I'm never going to stub my toe or that I should jump off a building? And all we have to do is read the whole psalm, and we get that. Because right after that line, you're not going to step on a a stone, is you're going to walk on top of lions and cobras. I ain't going to do that. (laughs) Even if I'm commanded to, I'm going to bypass that one. I'm not going to handle snakes. So all we have to do is read it in context. And then when we read it in context, we see this that it is truly a psalm of praise for protection and rescuing grace. And that when we read in other passages of the Bible, that yes, we will suffer. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you for your testing. Same word that's used against Christ, perazo. The Greek word means to be tested. Tried, tested. And... uh, And so then, you know, the imagery to us becomes, well, so you mean pestilence play. I mean, we just went through a COVID. Well, it looks like you all did okay. I got it terribly. Maybe I just wasn't abiding in the Lord at the time. I don't know. But, you know, I do know people who, had, who died from it. I know, uh, I think of Mark Pomeroy's parents. Both of them, both of them died from it. And one, they were, had health issues as it was. But still, it was COVID that knocked him off the cliff. And it was hard on Mark. His parents were like his best friends. It was hard. And, uh, you know, so what about 10,000 are dying of COVID at my right hand, but I'm not? Well, you might. So, <clears throat> obviously, God does not mean here. That we're not going to suffer. And I just have to look at the rest of the Bible. So if in this passage it says I'm not going to suffer. And in other passages it says I am going to suffer. Well, then you you could do one or two things. You say, well, you know, the Bible has contradictions in it. Or there's something I don't understand yet. And that's why you would become a great uh, interpreter of the Bible expositor, if you will, because in humility you keep looking. And I think, I know, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to keep looking. And when we keep looking, knowing, remember we did a couple of classes on whatever your issue is right now, find the passage. This is what we got from the first temptation. Jesus picks particular passages that apply to that situation he's facing. Go find them. And note, they're in this book somewhere, and you've got the Holy Spirit to help you. And as you start looking, you're going to see the, some paths are dark and some paths are lit. Go down that path. So the imagery is not to be taken in a literal sense. So let uh I just closed it like a dummy. Let, let me open it again. Because I do want to... Uh, So um, after the third stanza in which he says they'll give his uh, angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways, they will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and serpent you will trample down. And, you know, there's language here that we would think of uh, in Genesis chapter 3, where the seed of the woman would trample on the serpent. And that, you know, you will trample down the serpent. And so, you know, and this is meant this way. You know, this opens up our minds to, hey, wait a minute. Uh, Somebody trampling a serpent, I know that that's somewhere else. And if we go look and we read, we're, we're led from place to place and we start to find connections that truly bring the word of God to life for us because it's a seamless document. So the Lord trampled the devil for us and now we. When the devil prowls about seeking like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, Which I doubt the reference to lions here would be the same reference to him as a lion. But he says, now when Peter says that, in 1 Peter chapter 5, the devil prowls about. He says, resist him. And we would say, well, how? Standing firm in your faith. That's what Peter writes. So what did our Lord do? Stood firm in his faith, quoted scripture. Said, this is the truth, and I'm standing in that. I am not going to jump off this building, that's silly. And we do the same thing. But we got to know what's here. I have to have it memorized. Again, I recommend memorization and for passages that are particularly pertinent to your situation. But even if you just at least you know the principle of the passage so that it can be applied. Now, the last stanza deals with the fact that because you love the Lord and because you know him, God is going to prosper and bless you. And that reiterates the first stanza. Again, the first stanza is he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And so in there lies protection and providence. And then he says in verse 14, the last stanza, because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name and he will call upon me and I will answer him. And so here we have prayer and it's answered prayer. And we saw in James chapter 1 in our study of James not long ago where James said, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials for these things are for your endurance. He said, Pray for wisdom. Don't pray while with doubt, but in James 1:5, ask for wisdom and you'll have it. And here we have prayer in the midst of trial and trouble. That I'm trusting in the Lord; He is my shield, my bulwark. I'm in His temple. I'm in uh, His for I dwell in the shelter of the Most High, and I know He will answer my prayer. And all of this because I have loved Him. So the context gives the meaning. And then I look at other scriptures, and I realize that in other scriptures that, yes, I am to suffer. And some, like, say, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, which shows all the the heroes of the Old Testament lined up one after another. Uh, they suffer mightily. There's one who is sawn in two, if you remember, and, you know, like, you know, why didn't God protect him from that? The Lord will deliver us, therefore, in other ways. All right? So, if I'm not delivered from the pestilence, if I'm not, is it, I get sick, if I'm not delivered from the enemy, and they really do hurt me, or hurt someone I love, then, you know, how does this, I mean, is it just nice literature? Or, How am I delivered? The world is only interested in physical. And that becomes our issue. Because we're in the world, and it's a physical world. The world is only interested in the physical. The world is fascinated with the physical. And yet, the Lord, our Lord Jesus, as he lived his life, was completely unconcerned with it, right? He did not care about where his food was coming from. In uh, Matthew, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, when they come asking for taxes, Jesus sends Peter to go fishing and says, there'll be coins in the fish that you pull out of the water in his mouth. So, I don't have the power to do that. i got to pay my taxes. It's true. you got to pay your taxes, But Jesus didn't tell us that we didn't live in the physical or ignore the physical. He said to us, don't be anxious about it. That's consider the birds and the grass and the lilies. And he said, you who are anxious are of little faith. Don't be anxious. There's a time when they're in the boat going across the, the Sea of Galilee. They went over the sea across the Sea of Galilee many times. And they, uh, the disciples forgot to bring bread. And they're sitting in the boat and they're kind of whispering to each other saying, oh, crap, we forgot to bring bread. We forgot to bring bread. And Jesus, understanding what they were saying, said, do you, know, do you remember what I just did a few hours ago? I fed 5,000 with a few, loaves of fi- a few loaves and fishes. You have little faith. Real, real life is spiritual. Real life. Man shall not live by bread alone. We need it to be alive. But on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8. Deliverance will always be mainly spirit. Now I put mainly in there because there are, yes, there's times where the physical comes through. Those are those are the times where you had no money and all of a sudden there was a surprise check in the mailbox or something like that. God sent you a solid. That's icing. But if he didn't say, now if we always got the check in the mailbox every time we fell into financial trouble, that's like jumping off the pinnacle of the temple. You know, we're, it's not always going to happen. We love it when it does. It's not always going to happen. The physical is icing. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, where is your true deliverance? And it's in the spiritual. So, what, is a, what does the life of a believer who trusts, loves, and knows the Lord look like? And that's what we're after here in terms of being delivered. We're not going to overcome gravity, but we're going to patiently trust patiently trust the Lord and by trusting him we're going to overcome with love right our enemies are going to hurt us and what are we going to do in response we're going to love them you see with that I have if my spiritual life is of such a maturity that I can actually respond to my enemy with love I don't I don't need to be jumping off of temples. I don't need the constant reassurance. I mean, I have strength, and the strength is there always because my love doesn't increase and decrease. It it can increase and decrease. I mean, it's supposed to increase. It shouldn't decrease. But I mean in, in moments. Whereas physical strength comes and goes within the same day. But if I have the spiritual maturity of the love of Christ, it's not going to go away today. It's always going to be at the ready. And it's only going to increase as I walk with him. I have patience. I have contentment. I have joy. Despite anything, therefore, I'm not a slave to the physical and so those who are slaves to the physical are described in the Scripture as those who are tossed here and there on the waves like a boat, like a cork in the, in the, in the sea, in a, in a troubled sea. And you, you're just tossed around. But yet with the true deliverance, which is spiritual. And that's what our Lord had. So, you know, was he protected by God? Yeah, and he knew it. We remember that in uh, it's in Luke chapter 4. He goes to his hometown. He gives a message in his home synagogue. They got so mad at him that they took him to a cliff and they're going to throw him off. And, right, throw your, that wasn't throw yourself down. We're going to throw you down. And he walked right through them. That's what the, the Scripture doesn't say how he did it. Or if he scared them, did he flex his deity muscles? And I'm sure he didn't. I'm sure he didn't have deity muscles, but it, he just... Walked through their midst. And the the chosen did that scene, and I thought they did a terrific job with it. Although none of us know really what happened. But he just kind of in the chosen he looked at them and said, Not today. And he just walked out and they just all stood back. And that's yeah, you know, that kinda of, as I, I kind of picture it. But he's delivered. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't like, oh my God, oh oh myself, This, this could end it too early if they throw me off this cliff. He was like, you're not throwing me off this cliff today. I know I'm protected, but when the time comes and I do suffer and die, that is God's timing. And it's beautiful. So do you see what Satan's trying to do to us? He's trying to... Get us to not have faith in God, and He's trying to get us, therefore, to live afraid, and to wish that God would show up. I'm, I remember so many times that I, in the midst of my troubles, that I wish that God would just show up and talk to me and tell me that everything was going to be fine. I went through some terrible times, and He never did. And I thank God now. I look back now, like, thank you for not doing what I wanted You to do. Because I wouldn't have gotten it. So it's, it's the mature believers are going to suffer. It's not like we're not going to suffer. But they're over, going to overcome in truly miraculous ways. Not the physical. The world is so absorbed with physical. Right? The, the faith healers, or what they call fake healers, it's always physical. The guy shows up in his wheelchair, they pray, or they do the thing where, "Oh, who has a bad back in the audience?" And like half the people, of course, have bad backs, and then all of a sudden they feel better, or whatever, you know like physical. What if God healed your back and you still ended up in hell? Or you, you, you ended up absolutely miserable in your soul. <laughs> right? My back feels great, but I'm a bitter, angry, jealous jerk my whole life. I'm addicted to drugs and alcohol and sex, and yet yeah, my back feels great. So what? Such people are going to overcome through much greater miracles than defying gravity. Much greater. So we are going to suffer. And God will protect us in ways that we can't even comprehend. His perfect way. So we trust and do not fear. But what happens is false interpretation. False interpretations lead to life-damaging applications um, you know, so don't jump to conclusions. Pun intended. We have to realize our preconceptions. All of us have them. They might be wrong. And if they're wrong, keep reading and be open to being changed. And after you've been changed by God enough, you'll welcome it. You'll be, you'll be grateful for it. Uh, bad conclusions that <coughs> <they> take, like, <coughs> excuse me, bad um, interpretations. Like, for instance, the Corinthians who, you know, truly threw their their faith into the fact that they had eternal life and were forgiven, but interpreted holiness as something that was not actually needed in the spiritual life, and they had incredibly immoral lives, and a very divided church because they were fighting with one another in pride and jealousy. You're missing it. Uh, when God says he's going to judge the world concerning sin and righteousness, and yet, you know, we, if we say, well, I, you know, I'm not going to be judged because I'm a believer and therefore I should live unrighteously and sinfully, well, you know, where do you get that conclusion from and how's it going to work out for you? How's it going to work out for you at the judgment seat of Christ when he judges your works, whether they're good or bad? It's not. And so all of those come from false interpretations. Then there's the – that's that side. You know, that what I just described was the side that I ran to. But the, the other side is the legalism side. The other one was antinomianism. I say I believe one thing and I live another. But legalism is that I live by ritual. You know, I, I'm, I'm good because I go to church or I live the spiritual life because I appear nice. But in my heart, I judge and I'm bitter and I think I'm better than everybody else. You're again, you're missing scripture. The scripture tells you that you're not to live like that. That it is completely against God. And so at least if we have the right interpretations, and we can't lie to ourselves. And that's the best thing to do. You have the right interpretation. Well, let's say you were prideful. Yeah, who of us have been prideful lately? You know, you, you know you're wrong. Right? The Scripture tells you. You've got no one else to blame but yourself. That is an application. <laughs> and so you confess it. And what's the application that the Scripture tells you? I know that I'm completely forgiven, that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, so I confess it and I repent of it. Meaning I'm not going to continue in it to the best of my ability. And I am going to do what it takes to be obedient, to trust, to have faith. And I'll be just like Christ. Now the last thing I want to share with you, and this is, oh, I didn't want that. Don't let interpretation divide you. From your eternal brothers and sisters in Christ, I, I I hate to throw that in at the end. I could spend a whole class on that. Maybe I will, but you know there are people out there who have been brought up Baptist, Pentecostal. They're they're Christians who are your brothers and sisters. Um, yeah, they're probably not going to come to your church. <laughs> you know, not not definitely. You know, if what we offer here is not going to be for everybody. But um, Catholics. uh, I I was reading about some guy. Currently, he lives in the area. I was reading about this guy. He's a Greek Orthodox guy. And uh, just a Greek Orthodox priest who rides a Harley. This guy, you have to see. And he's got a beard down to his belt and he's just, he's a fierce looking man. (laughs) And yet, you know, for... In some areas of Scripture, he would disagree with us. But on the essentials, he'd agree with you completely. There's some of the other things, like maybe some eschatology he's different on, but as far as, from what I understood, as far as, uh, you know, inerrancy of Scripture and salvation and dispensationalism and all that, he'd agree with you 100%. There's a few things that he would not. And so, there's a saying that goes with this. In the essentials, there should be unity. And in the non-essentials, there should be liberty. 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 I'm not, I agree to disagree, but I'm free to disagree. If you disagree with me on pre trib rapture, you disagree, you're a mid-trip guy. It could be. I don't think it is, but we're not told directly. If you think that salvation is by works, then you disagree with me on an essential. That's essential. But when it comes to, I don't know, you think, whatever. I'm not going to go into them. You know what they are. So that's what, if we're humble learners, we're all growing. Right? As am I. We're all growing. There are different personality types. This is one thing I've been learning about lately, which is pretty funny. You know, some people are, we're just different. God made it that way and then shoved us all into the body <laughs> of Christ. And then he said, all right, I want you guys to love one another, serve one another, and depend upon one another. And you're all going to be different. And yet, in many ways, the same. So don't let interpretation get in the way of your love of your brethren, never mind your enemy. You're to love them as well. And we can correct one another, but with gentleness. So Satan is going to, for if you are one who knows that you need to live by the Scripture, he's going to come after you on the field of interpretation. He's going to try and get you to believe a false interpretation so that you have a false application. Now let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, and thank you so much for the things that you bless us with through the truth. And your truth ascends above all other ideologies or theories, and your truth is eternal. May we, Father, discover it in humility and reverence of you, and therefore live like our Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.